Welcome to Hospitality Forward, a podcast where hospitality and travel professionals learn how to earn the media spotlight. My name is Hannah Lee. I am president of Hannah Lee Communications, an award-winning public relations agency in New York City. And I'm Michael Ann Stendig, a food and beverage writer and editor-in-chief at Hannah Lee Communications. As a PR professional myself and Michael as a journalist, we understand the power of media coverage and its impact on someone's career and business. So each week, we interview top journalists who share their insights and tips. In this episode, we chat with Jonah Flicker, a freelance writer who covers spirits, travel, food, and lifestyle. His work has appeared in Esquire, Departures, Rob Report, USA Today, CNN, and many other top outlets. Also, stay tuned for our HLC Innovation Report at the end of this episode to find out who's moving hospitality forward. Hi, Jonah. Welcome to the show. Thanks for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. It's really nice to see your faces. And great to see you. Likewise, likewise. So what's been your go-to quarantini cocktail? What are you what have you been drinking lately? Uh yeah, you know, I, I always go for the classics. So I I I think uh my wife and I have been we're always drinking Manhattans or old fashions or you know, experimenting a little bit with different kinds of bitters, maybe like a black walnut bitter, old fashioned, uh maybe, you know, changing up the Manhattan a little bit. So stuff like that. But we always kind of stick with the classics. We're we're the same. It's always twists on the classic. <laughs> So we understand you went to school to study film. So can you tell our listeners how you got into journalism and focusing on spirits, travel, food, and wine? Yeah, so I, I uh, studied documentary film um, in, in college, and I, I went to Prague for a semester and did a documentary film program there. Um, you know, I guess documentary film and, and journalism are not too far removed, but actually, uh, I started out as a music writer, so I was uh, I was I, I played in bands in a different life a long time ago, and was really into music. I still am, but at, at the time, I, I covered you know live shows, interviews, music reviews uh, for a bunch of different alt weeklies and websites and magazines. And the transition sort of came about because I would go to a, uh, a festival in Iceland every year called Iceland Airwaves, and I would work for the English language newspaper there covering music. Um, and I started traveling around Iceland a lot when I was there and pitching some travel stories uh, from from those trips that I would do. And then I took a trip to Scotland in 2006 and drove around with a friend and visited, you know, maybe 10 different distilleries. I was always a fan of whiskey, but really got to immerse myself in it. Um, and then it wasn't maybe until about five years later, though, that, that everything sort of came together. And I think it was at a time when a lot of lifestyle uh, publications were looking for for whiskey and, and booze content. So the timing was good and I had a passion for it and had sort of taught myself a lot about it. So it all kind of came together there. So I don't write about music really anymore at all, but um, I still love music, but booze and, and food and travel are, are what I really enjoy writing about these days. So With the pandemic, um, the media landscape has changed so much. But you've been very busy. You've been writing a lot. So what do you like most about writing about spirits? Yeah, you know, I, when everything started, uh, when the pandemic started, I, I I really wasn't sure what the next 
year was going to be like as far as professionally what I was going to be writing about. And I also for a little bit was kind of like, I, I don't know if this is important. I don't know if people want to read about this, if people are still going to care about this. Um, I, I think that, you know, over a couple of months, I realized that there's a lot of different factors as to why people still do and will continue to care about that. Number one, it's a lot of people's jobs are, are based on this. And so it's really important to them, obviously. Um, people also, as far as reading about it, they need uh, a distraction. They need to, you know, uh, separate themselves from reality a little bit sometimes and find out what a, a, a new whiskey release is or, or something like that. Um, and the other thing is, I think that the, the hospitality industry in general, in general, although it's really having a hard time right now. It's not going away. I mean, it's going to be here. And uh, so I, I think uh, throughout this time, I've, you know, I've, I've been getting a, a, a lot of assignments that I wasn't expecting to necessarily get in the beginning. But I think that it's just part of um, the, the landscape is adjusting and shifting, obviously, but there's still uh, a lot of things that are remaining the same. Like, distilleries are still putting out new products bars are still amazingly opening during this time and you know uh, uh bartenders are coming up with their own canned brands and, and you know everything is still continuing even during this hard time so there's there's a lot to cover yeah and it, it's great that things are are continuing apace and in fact you know a lot of liquor sales are in fact up during the pandemic as i'm sure you well know so do you see that there's a greater demand for alcohol-themed articles since more people are now at home and experimenting with being their own bartenders? Yeah, I think I've been getting assignments um, where I'm getting quotes from bartenders, recommendations from bartenders. And again, that was another thing that at first I felt you know, a little strange about because when uh, there's a bartender who doesn't know if their bar is going to be open tomorrow... Um, do they really want to be bothered with me coming to them, you know, for for a quote about a, a recipe or a recommendation of their favorite spirit or whatever? But I, I think that it is a really good way of keeping uh, bartenders and people in the hospitality industry in in the front of people's minds during this time because we we don't want to forget about them because it's such a, a you know whiplash. Like a bar is open one day, then it's forced to shut down the next day, and they're maybe they're going to reopen. Um, so I think that uh, it's been, you know, turning to to bartenders during this time and and uh, getting input from them has been has been really valuable, you know. And the other thing is, it it's interesting because not just the pandemic, but also the BLM protests that were happening over the summer. I think has played a a big part in in sort of the the, the pool of of sources that I'm turning to. And I think this was. A blind spot, not just for me, but for a lot of people, where you had a, a, a certain pool of, of uh, experts and bartenders that you're turning to, and might not have thought about how diverse that that group is. And this is a very diverse industry, so I think uh, I know that I am, and I, I, I think a lot of other writers are making a point of making sure that this pool of people that they can talk to represents the diversity uh, that is in the industry. And it's you know you don't want to tokenize people either. You don't want to turn to someone just because it's a person of color or a person with a different gender identity, but you still want to incorporate all these different voices in uh, as sources for for your work. 
No question about it. And also, thank you so much for you know giving the platform for our bartenders and business owners to voice their opinion, voice their thoughts through your article. So you know, we thank you for you know continue to bring that opportunities to our industry because that's important more than ever. And at the end of the day, bartenders will be you know tastemakers and trendsetters, pandemic or not. You know, people view them as authorities. They take their recommendations very seriously, and they have an important role to play in our society. Absolutely, yeah. So, speaking of writing, so you often write round of stories like best Irish whiskeys, best mezcals, and best rums, and more. So, for our listeners, can you tell us what is a roundup, and also how it's different from a feature story? Yeah, you know, it's funny. It's it's I, over the past uh, nine months or so, I I feel like that's uh, with a few exceptions here and there. That's that's a lot of what I've been doing. Um, to be honest, it's not. You know, I prefer to sort of really sink my teeth into a story uh, where I can sort of have more of a point of view. But that being said, certain outlets that I write for, even with doing these roundups, uh, they encourage. Uh, me and other writers to to have a point of view even in that in that setting but basically it's it's going to be you know whatever uh topic there is whether it's um say best you know new rums or best japanese whiskey or whatever where you're compiling a list of different bottles uh could be you know mostly new releases and then um as we were talking about before a lot of the time I'm turning to uh, people from distilleries or or in the hospitality industry to get their picks or to maybe get um you know uh, their take on on why a particular release stands out and and maybe how they use it in a cocktail or something like that. And I think that for the outlets that I write for, these kind of stories drive a, a lot of their traffic. So so that's why there's always a, a demand for that. But I think also you know from consumer point of view or you know the, your audience point of view, you're looking at like multiple options for them to pick and yeah. choose. You know, it's not only one recommendation from you, but it's like you know. 10 to 12. And I think it's, it's you're bringing additional value to the audience. Because, because you're curating those right. selections. And I mean, I, I actually, one thing that I really like about it is that in general, I'm, I, I like uh, choosing things that I think are really great. And, and writing about them rather than picking things that I think are terrible and, and trashing them. I mean, I will, if something's bad, I will, I'm not afraid to say that, but I do like, uh, like you said, curating a list of things that I think are worth, um, uh, pointing out, especially, um, if it's maybe from a craft distillery, which is a, a, a group that are really struggling these days. And, and, you know, so it's a good way to, to highlight some things that, that need some extra attention too. Are there any uh, spirits roundups will you be working on in coming months where our listeners can be part of? Yeah, so coming up, um, for I do a lot of stuff for departures, for example. So um, I'm coming up, I'm going to be doing um, uh, a roundup of of new rum releases, um, and there's a bunch uh, that have come out in the past couple of months. Um, I'm going to be doing a uh, Japanese whiskey. Uh, roundup for them as well. And uh, there's been a actually a surprisingly uh, large amount of new Japanese whiskey releases, everything from small distilleries in, J- in Japan that are actually producing their own whiskey to distilleries that are, you know, sourcing their whiskey from Scotland and other places and, and blending and bottling it. Um, and then, uh, you know, for Esquire, I'm always doing these I, uh, updating best of categories. I just uh, did a, a updated a single malt whiskey category for them. So, you know, it's, Esquire is actually a good example of an outlet that 
even when I'm doing a roundup like that, having they they really like for you to have your own voice in that. So it's not just like a list of things, but, you know, to write an intro and to actually give a viewpoint about, you know, things that are going on in the industry, uh, how the current situation is affecting it. Um, you know, not be afraid to, to talk about any, anything that's maybe controversial that's been happening. And then, you know, go into your list of, of what you think is best and, and why you think it's best. Do you recommend that folks send samples to you or what's, what's, what's the best process for getting on your radar? I think uh, samples are always kind of necessary. I understand there are some releases that are really limited or are extremely expensive, and it can be hard to to get a sample out of some of those. But ultimately, I really don't want to write about something if I've never tasted it myself, even if it's, you know, like a little mini 100 ml bottle or whatever. Uh, But I think that's the best way because otherwise you're just kind of, you know, guessing about it. Speaking of discovery with uh, travel very limited these days due to the pandemic. How do you stay on top of the industry, which is so global in nature? Yeah, I, I think uh, social media is a really important way to do that. I personally am not, uh, I could be a, a lot better at social media than I than I am. You know, I have a, a minimal presence, but uh, I am using it, uh, you know, on Twitter and Instagram and uh, to, to find out what's going on, to find out uh, new new products that are launching, uh, new bars or restaurants that are launching, new initiatives that um, hotels might be taking. I mean, you know, the reality, I, I, I was thinking about this today and I feel like I'm, I'm optimistic but realistic about what the next year or more most likely is going to be like um, as far as uh, traveling myself. You know, I used to, before this was happening, I would travel maybe once every four to six weeks to go visit a distillery or go check out a, a hotel or something like that. I don't think that's going to happen again anytime really, really soon. Um, I'm, you know, again, like I, I hope that I'm wrong. I hope it's sooner than I think, but I think it's going to be at least a year before that kind of travel happens again. Um, so in the meantime, the you know things are still going on like we were talking about before and uh it is really useful to read what what uh businesses are up to on twitter hopefully they're making those announcements and then also to to find out from the people who are representing them because uh it's it is important to you know this is this is an industry that is kind of being decimated right now and it, and it's really heartbreaking and and uh it, it's it's important to to keep it in in front of people's minds so that they they you know, we all want to go back when it's completely safe to to do so. (laughs) So, you know. When you are ready to travel again, what will be your first international travel destinations and why? I have a feeling it will be going back to Scotland, which is a very good feeling because I love Scotland and I love uh, visiting the distilleries there. There's, I've been to a bunch, but there's some I haven't been to um, or possibly Ireland, for the same reasons. Um, really interested in going to France because there's a bunch of uh, new French whiskey distilleries that are making some really, really excellent whiskey. So that's, that's a, I've been to France before to, to visit cognac and champagne, but I've, I've never uh, visited any of the, of the whiskey distilleries. So that's, that's something I'd really be interested in doing. And, um, you know, also going I don't know, maybe going to London and, and, and visiting some of the amazing bars there that I've uh, had a chance to visit a couple over the, over the years. But it's hard to choose. There's so many uh, international trips that, 
that are appealing right now. London is one of our favorite cities, and they have amazing bars. So next time when you're ready to go, let's go yeah, together. Yeah, we'll, we'll go in a heartbeat. <laughs> So, um, uh, beyond Esquire, you also write for Rap Report, Departures, USA Today, CNN, and many other top outlets. So, how is your pitching process different between, let's say, Departures versus USA Today or CNN? You know, each each outlet uh, has a, a very different voice, um, and so part of the challenge. I mean, as a freelancer, fifty at least fifty percent of the time is is spent formulating pitches and then reaching out to editors. Hopefully it's editors you have a working relationship with. Sometimes it's not, sometimes it's new. Um, but basically, uh, you know, knowing what that particular voice is for that outlet, you know, for departures, it's a, dealing with a lot of high-end stuff, not exclusively, but um, sort of a, a, a broader take on things where, you know, it might be uh, the a brief history of of the Negroni or something like that, and then or a, a roundup of you know the best red wine to to drink this winter or something like that. Uh, CNN is is much more of a news oriented uh, pitch, uh, really focusing on uh, things that are timely. Uh, Esquire, who I love writing for, as I mentioned before, it's uh, a, a, an outlet that really encourages uh, the writer to. Uh, Use use his or her own voice uh, in 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 their work and and like I said, even with if you're just doing a roundup of whiskey or whatever, to to really not be afraid to have a viewpoint um, and and not just a, a list of things. So I, I really enjoy writing for them. But it's really kind of you know knowing the the audience and knowing uh, what the outlet expects and it's and and so it's you know it's kind of a juggling act of of you have to really tailor your your, your pitch based on that. Let's get a little bit more practical here for a moment. Uh, we understand that there are a ton of Zoom tastings going on uh, on, on a, probably a daily basis. I'm sure you get a ton of invitations. So what are some of the key factors that you consider when choosing one over another? You know, at, at, at first, I think I was saying yes to uh, a lot more Zoom tastings than I've been saying to uh, yes to these days. Um, I I think it it has to offer something that you couldn't get just from getting a sample and some you know background material and and uh, uh, doing it at home. You know, as as a parent, actually with two small kids, the this world of virtual tastings has actually kind of been amazing for me because it can be hard to get out of the house at in the evening sometimes <laughs> to go to a tasting. Although I do really miss that that there's nothing beats you know meeting up with a bunch of people and having a tasting in person at a nice bar or restaurant and really getting to talk to people. So I think um, you know if you're really getting to if it's a smaller group and you're getting to have uh, a, a more intimate sort of question and answer period with um, either the the someone who's behind the product or if it's a bartender who's really, you know, in charge of, of coming up with, with cocktail ideas or something like that, or, or sometimes there'll be a, a food element where you're actually uh, cooking something at home along with it. That can be fun, although that's not something you want to do all the time. Um, I, I think the main thing is, is what can that tasting offer uh, that's a little different, that's a little more than you would be able to experience just by yourself, you know, with, with some tasting notes and, and a bottle. So, and and I do I, I have to say I I think that the 
virtual Zoom tasting is something that is here to stay. I don't think that's going away. I think it will kind of be something that continues in conjunction with uh, in-person events. You know, I was I was thinking about this too. I was in the future there might be a, a, a tasting at a bar. And maybe there are people who can't make it or people from, you know, California and the tastings in New York, and they can actually set up like a, 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 a camera so that you can actually log in from, from, you know, your home and attend. I, I don't know. I mean, it seems like a good way to um, make these things a little more accessible and uh, frankly is probably a maybe less financial burden on the brand if they can in- involve more people without actually having to, you know, physically serve more people, more food and more uh, cocktails and and that kind of thing. So I I think that's something that's not going to go away. There's no question that Zoom has really democratized access uh, for everyone. And uh, to have these virtual experiences at, you know, no cost uh, is definitely a game changer. Mm -hmm. And it's also there's an efficiency as well. Yeah, we definitely see them persisting. So let's let's say you're you're a little known distillery or brewery or winery. And, you know, you don't have a PR firm or, you know, they don't certainly wouldn't have a relationship with you at this point. What what are the secrets uh, for pitching you and, and getting on on your radar? I mean, I think the, the first thing I, I think of when I hear that or when I think of that question is definitely that these smaller producers should be pitching me and other writers, because right now uh, is a tough time for the craft industry. I wrote about this in a in a lengthier piece that I did for Esquire a couple months ago. But uh, a, a big thing that people have been uh, turning to over the or during the pandemic are, are what uh, actually Alan Katz of, of New York Distilling Company called comfort brands, which are, you know, the big names, uh, Jack Daniels, Jim Beam, Wild Turkey, love all of those brands. But for for smaller producers, it, a lot of their sales and their their business and the way of getting people to know their product is by people coming into their tasting rooms and and actually talking to people and tasting in person. And that's mostly not happening right now. Or having bartenders turn them onto a brand. Exactly. Yes. Big, big component of that. So I think uh, smaller producers should just be, you know, sending an email and, and, and talking about what they're doing, what's new with them. A lot of them are actually involved in sort of uh, interesting community initiatives, things that are, um, you know, really whether it's hand sanitizer, which is sort of not happening as much anymore, but was a big thing, or um, you know, focusing on um, inclusiveness in the industry, um, or you know, donating food to people who are in need. There, there's a lot of stuff like that going on on a, on, on a small, uh, on a scale with with some of the smaller operations, and that's really, I think a, a interesting thing and a really great thing that that they're doing um but also just you know there's always a story behind uh a distillery there's always you know whether it's a couple guys that used to work in finance and and gave that up to start their own uh distillery or 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 someone who's actually out on a farm doing like a, a grain to glass operation so i think just sort of showing like what define what separates that distillery or, or brand, uh, you know, from the rest. And there's always something, there's always like one little, you know, thing that, that makes it a little bit different. And, and so highlighting that and, and just, you know, reaching out with a, with a, a personal pitch, a personal appeal. I think that that goes a long way. It's the story behind the bottle. Is it exactly. So, um, we call our podcast hospitality forward because 
We truly believe in our industry that we are resilient, we are strong, and and we know we're going to come back better than ever. So having said that, what innovations are happening in beer, wine, and spirits industry right now that you think should continue in 2021? Well, I have been listening to all your podcasts because I love it. So I know that. Thank you. Thank you so much. That, that means a lot so, to us. So I know that some people have covered some of these things already, but I think it's worth mentioning again, you know, as far as the on-premise kind of thing and, and bars and, and restaurants, I think the outdoor seating, the to-go operations, um, things like that are, are going to continue and, and should continue. Um, also, I've been you know, there's even in my neighborhood here in Brooklyn, uh, there's been certain businesses that have turned from just a bar or restaurant to like a general store bar hybrid model, which I think is great. I mean, it, it really, I think it's, uh, uh, it, it seems like from what I've understand from what I've been reading, it's, it's a better business model from it for them at this point. And that is something that can continue. Why not? You know, if you can go in and you can order a drink and you can also, you know, buy some, uh, uh, small batch artisanal flour or something as, as well. Why, you know, why not? Um, I think the, uh, as far as distilleries and, and spirits and brands, uh, a lot of states have eased up regulations on them being able to ship directly to consumers, which I think is fantastic. Um, you know, I'm not, an, I'm not an expert in the spirits uh, distribution system, but I know it's a complicated and, and, and uh, circuitous process uh, path that has uh, it's 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 a difficult thing to maneuver so i think for a distillery to be able to you know ship direct from their tasting room to a consumer whether it's in state or out of state who wants to buy that spirit and again that's especially helpful for the uh for the craft industry i mean if if people can't get to the distilleries let's bring the distilleries to the people exactly there's i mean at, at there's no other way in some circumstances right now so um i think in general you know there's been a f as we were kind of talking about before there's a focus more on um social justice and uh being inclusive and you know it's it's coming from directly from a lot of distilleries who are who are showing their support for these causes and i think that is i hope something that is uh uh going to continue and is not going to be sort of you know these things can easily kind of get forgotten after the noise dies down a little bit but so far it looks like that's hopefully not happening. And, um, you know, I think, uh, overall this, this is, this time I think is as hard as it is, it's also really bringing people together and, and showing that this, uh, uh, community is, is very strong and has a lot of ties. And there's, of course, there's competition between brands and, and distilleries and stuff, but overall, you know, it's like if one rises, they all rise. So it's, it's, yeah, I think that's going to continue. Hopefully. Absolutely. And now for the listener question segment of our podcast, we have a question from Anthony Baker, cocktail professor at Momentum Mixology in New York City. He'd like to know what under-the-radar spirits categories you see consumers discovering in 2021. Let's see. I, I'm always wondering if the uh, cachaça uh, category is going to become better known, uh, sort of the Brazilian counterpart to rum for people that maybe aren't familiar. Um, it, I feel like there's been a, a little bit of a push for that over the past couple of years, but it hasn't quite, you know, gotten very popular yet. Um, uh, beyond that, um, you know, there's other agave spirits besides uh, tequila and mezcal that, that are maybe getting a little bit more push recently. Um, 
And I think maybe whiskeys from not the big producing countries like Scotland and Ireland and America uh, and even Japan. But I think like I was talking before about wanting to go to France and visit some of those French distilleries. But uh, recently there's been some amazing uh, whiskey from France, from Italy, from Switzerland that I've gotten to try. Um, so, so smaller whiskey producing regions. I think that might be something that people are going to see more of. How about shoju from Japan? I mean, the Summer Olympics happening uh, in Tokyo in 2021. So I think like Japanese spirits beyond whiskey, like a shoju or some sort of those type of spirits could be also new discovery for consumer. Definitely. And I think even, you know, some of the smaller whiskey distilleries in Japan are... You, they're aging shochu and then using those barrels to then age their whiskey. So there's sort of a tie-in now that that might be uh, uh, making people more aware of, of that category as well. No question. Well, it's been so much fun talking to you, Jonah. What's the best way for our listeners to contact you when pitching? Uh, the best way is to email me, jdflicker at gmail.com. Um, you know, you can uh, find me on Twitter or Instagram at uh, at Gustatory Online, and you can you can message me there. But the the best way to reach me is is using email. Great. Well, thank you so much for your time, Jonah, and we wish you and your family a very happy new year. Absolutely. And thanks again for joining us today. Thank you. Same to you. Happy holidays. It was great to see you guys. Bye-bye. Bye bye. Bye. What a thoughtful conversation. Jonah always brings it. Now that you know what Jonah will be working on in the coming months, please reach out to him. And of course, mention that you heard him on our podcast. Now it's time for our weekly HLC Innovation Report from our agency, Hanalee Communications. It spotlights five game changers, fearless leaders, and exciting trends that are moving hospitality forward. Let's get started. Number one. What we are reading this week. Drinking French, the iconic cocktails, aperitifs, and cafe traditions of France with 160 recipes by David Lebovitz. Our agency celebrates book authors we admire through our hashtag AskTheAuthor series. Check out at HLC Book Media on Instagram for our full interview on how David and 10Speed Press brought his spirited book to life. Number two, who we are honoring this week. Chef Esther Choi, the owner of two Korean restaurants, Mokba and Miss Yu in New York City. She's also the host of the Get Down with K-Town podcast. Chef Esther's inspiring quote is, Don't be discouraged by failure. Think of it as a door. And with every door you close, there are several more to open. Well said, Chef Esther. We celebrate pioneering women via our digital channels, so please check out hanaleecommunications.com. Number three, what we are celebrating this week. Town Branch Distillery. Our client from Lexington, Kentucky, which is known for their award-winning bourbon, rye, and single malt whiskeys. It was the first distillery to open in Lexington since Prohibition. Cheers to our very spirited partnership. Number four, what podcast we're listening to this week? This is Working with Daniel Riff. 
Daniel, LinkedIn's editor-in-chief, recently interviewed Chef David Chang, founder of Momofuku Group. They discussed his new book, Eat a Peach, a memoir, the extreme plight of small independent restaurants, the quest for revenue streams beyond the dining room, Chef David struggles with depression, and the importance of destigmatizing mental illness. Give it a listen. Number five, who's inspiring us this week? Summerlong Supper Club, a 100% charitable dinner subscription service to help restaurants survive. Through a partnership with Roar NY, it provides invaluable support to the industry and access to exclusive dishes from top New York City restaurants representing 14 different cuisines. Please support by visiting summerlongsupperclub.com or roarnewyork.org. We wish everyone a happy, healthy, and safe new year. Thanks for tuning in and see you in 2021. Until then, join us as we move hospitality forward together.